Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy and anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over, it's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity, and so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham, and he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoiled party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously, even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously, doesn't mean life is gonna go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life and scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, 
You know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host, just like Jesus did. And when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. Do we believe that God really is enough? Do we really live like he is the king of the world? Do we believe he has everything we truly did need and what, what would it look like if we did? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus and the freedom and new life that you have invited us to understand. We thank you for forgiveness that you have set us free from our sins and that, God, we can live in a new way. We invite your forgiveness, God, for all the places that we choose still to cling to our sin. And we want freedom from those things too. As we explore these things this morning, God, we pray that you'd help us to see and understand a little more deeply in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be continuing our series called Set Free. Exploring the seven deadly sins and the power of Jesus over these things. We're stepping into a new season on our journey of understanding what God means when He calls us to be and to bring His sacred presence into the world. And this year we're going to be looking at the idea of the Word, the power and authority of God and the truths that He has communicated to us, things He has revealed to us about Himself, about His nature, about our nature, about the world and how He created us to live. And that journey is going to take all kinds of roads. There's so much richness to understand in God's Word. His Word is alive. God's Word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts deep, dividing joints and marrow right to our hearts, bringing the very message of our Creator, the Creator of the universe and the author of our lives right into our midst, right into our soul. It's going to be an amazing journey, but as we begin, we want to prepare ourselves to submit and align ourselves with His truth to bring His truth into our lives and let it speak to the places of darkness and hardness and sin that we cling on to, even when we have been forgiven and set free by the blood of Jesus. And so this summer we're looking at this idea of the seven deadly sins, this way of seeing sin in different ways, the different ways that it creeps into our lives, that we allow sin into our lives. 
The seven deadly sins is an ancient idea in the church, a way of categorizing things to help us understand the different and sneaky forms that sin can take, the ways it works itself out in our lives, the things that we have to watch out for, the different ways each of us might struggle, greed, gluttony, lust, sloth and envy, wrath and pride. Helpful ways for us to see the different sides of our sin and to call attention to things we might not think about. Greed and lust, we might get pretty easily pride. But how often do we think about something like envy or sloth or gluttony? How are these things that keep us from putting God first? How do they prevent us from bringing Him worship? How do they break relationship and poison our spirit? It's going to be helpful to look at these different aspects of the nature of our sin. And there's going to be weeks that are going to hit you harder than others. Some of these you might not struggle with as much as others, but still listen and allow the Spirit to reveal things in your heart that you need to submit to Jesus. But some of these might hurt. They might cut you really deep into places that you don't want Jesus to go. And that's where we need His Spirit. And we need each other to confess and bring freedom and release to help us walk more fully in the new life that Jesus has prepared for us. Our theme verse for this series is Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The gospel is about life, life in relationship with our Creator. And He desires to bring refreshing as we allow Him to bring correction and healing, to bring us in line with His perfect nature. And so as we look at these things, pray for that refreshing, that renewal in these different ways in our lives. But they are just an idea. The seven deadly sins aren't a real thing. God isn't keeping score like that. Because the reality is there is only one sin. It's not all of these different behaviors or beliefs even. It's not a particular choice or action. Sin is simply Placing anything above God. It's putting things out of order. The word sin originates from an archery term that means missing the mark. It's about being out of line, off center. Not submitting to the reality of God's nature, His goodness and holiness and truth. And so each of these aspects of sin, we're looking at are ways that we do that. Greed, money is our God. Lust, sex is our God. Wrath, anger, revenge, control is our God. Sloth, leisure is our God. All of these are different ways that we're drawn off center, that we place our own will above God's will, and that if we don't embrace the power of the cross over them, will bring us destruction and division, broken relationship, and loneliness, and isolation. 
And they all overlap. These ideas all touch each other. Greed overlaps with pride and sloth and with all the others. Because the root of all of this goes right back to the garden and that original lie, you can be like God. That we can take His place. Sin is a state of our hearts, not simply a thing that we do, but sin works itself out in different ways in our lives and looking at these things allows us to see the places in our lives that we haven't given Jesus the authority and control that He is due. The places we haven't submitted to Him. The places we still need to see His Spirit work. We are saved if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised Him from the dead. We are saved. It is a promise, a guarantee. We don't live in fear that we are good enough because we're not. But Jesus is and when He said it is finished, He meant it. But even as we are justified, we are being sanctified. We are saved, but we are still being transformed and made new. And the journey is not always smooth. As Paul says, there are still ways we allow sin into our lives. The things we want to do, we don't do, he says. And the things we don't want to do, those are the things we still do. Sin is powerful and seductive, but Jesus is more. And He wants us to walk in freedom and abundant, everlasting life. And so this summer we want to explore these things to help us see the places that Jesus desires to bring that refreshing, that renewing, that new and abundant life that we can share that hope with others. Share that life with others, that sacred presence That we will be people that live in the power of the gospel like He really is, the King of the world. So this morning we're going to look at the first of that list, this idea of greed. And invite Jesus to speak to us the places, the ways that we have let greed draw us off the mark, off center. And the ways we've let our own selfishness, set our will above trusting in God's provision. The idea of power and money has come up now for a couple of series in a row for us, and it's so interesting to me that God keeps bringing this before our eyes. It's almost like He's trying to tell us something, maybe. But this is something that Jesus talked about more than anything else except the coming of the kingdom itself. Greed is an enormously powerful thing in our world today and all through the story of humanity. And he had a great deal to say about it. The Gospels are full of things that Jesus told us about the power of money and the danger of greed. The power it has in our hearts. Turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount And there's actually a couple of places in here alone that Jesus talks about this. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the one of the few places Jesus was this clear in one of his teachings and parables and stories. How much more clearly does he need to say it? And yet, so often we live like we don't believe him. Surely we can do both if we're really careful. And our world just hammers us endlessly with the virtue of pursuing money. TikTok and social media and everything is overflowing with people showing off their money and their wealth. Endless tips and tricks to get rich quick strategies and tools to build your wealth. Retirement funds and investment opportunities and savings accounts and budgets and spreadsheets and on and on and on and on. Our world is flooded with money. It is obsessed with money. And everything that money brings, at least on the outside, wealth and power and status and comfort and security and opulence, the rich are good and to be celebrated and the poor are bad and to be looked down on. It invades and infects every single part of our lives. It's so overwhelming that we really can't even imagine seeing the world another way. It's how we quantify everything, our time, our relationships, our value, our security, our comfort, our future. It's all based on money. All the time. And if we just had a little more, then we'd have enough. First Timothy chapter 6, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Where does it stop? How does it stop? What are we supposed to do? How do we free ourselves from the hold this has on us? Where does this come from? And it all goes back, as all of these words will, to the garden. You will be like God. And when we believed that, 
We took control away from God and placed it on our own shoulders and we were crushed by the burden of controlling our lives and controlling the world around us. When God wasn't enough for us, we needed to be enough. To have enough. Because we told God He wasn't enough, but we can't even turn one hair on our heads, black or white. We can't make our heart beat one more time. We can't know how many breaths we have left or what's going to happen even one second into the future. And so the only thing we could do was grab everything we can to try to make sure we have enough. Because we told God He wasn't. Greed destroys everything. It fills us with fear and selfishness and jealousy and pride and division. And that doesn't sound like Jesus. None of this is what we were created for. None of this is what God meant for it to be. He gave us everything and just asked us to trust Him. And we decided we couldn't. But Jesus wants us to trust again, to let go of our need to control, to believe that God really does love you and He really will take care of you, that He really is enough. And Jesus is so gentle with us. He tries to tell us, to help us see, to help us remember what God created us for. Matthew 7, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he gives you a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? One of the very names of God in Scripture is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide where God provided a ram for the offering for Abraham in the place of his son Isaac. There's a whole series of sermons there of what God was trying to help Abraham see, what he was trying to help us to see in that moment, that he isn't like the gods that we create, angry and selfish and fearful and cruel and small. God is love and he is life. He is infinite and eternal, generous and caring. He has promised that He will provide, that He is enough if we will just remember what He created us to be and trust Him. And Jesus lived that life of faith, showing us that we really can trust His Father, that He really does see our needs, and He really does care if we'll just let go of our need to control, of our fear, of our greed our need to make sure we have enough, we will find that God is faithful. But we don't just sit around doing nothing either. In the parable of the talents, God calls us to be good stewards of the resources and the gifts, the abilities, the time that He has entrusted to us. He was pleased 
when his servants used those talents well, but they were his talents. His resources. They were managing for him. Not for themselves. We manage for God. We have to let go of our greed and let Jesus heal our hearts of that fear and that selfishness to see that anything we have is His. For His kingdom, for His glory. And He lets us use them to provide for our families and raise our families, care for ourselves, care for the church, care for the community, care for the people around us. But it's all His. To do with as He pleases. He will take care of our needs. And if He allows us to be in plenty or in want, to God be the glory because it's all His. Psalm 50. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects of the field are mine. If you were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. It's all His. And He has promised you that there is more than enough for everyone. It's not just about money. We can be greedy with our time. Filling our lives with so many commitments and activities that we have no space to care for others, to be interrupted. Jesus was the king of being interrupted. Every second of his life was critical. He was on a mission with a ticking clock. But he allowed himself to be interrupted all the time to see people, to care for people. Do we have space for that? Are people the point of our lives, of our journey? Or are they a burden and an inconvenience as we chase our own needs and fears and wants? We can be greedy with relationship. We don't want this person to spend time with anyone else. We're jealous and insecure. A spouse, a crush, a friend... We need to be the most important person in their life and we're not happy if they enjoy a relationship with someone else. We can be greedy with our skills and talents, not sharing what we know or what we can do with others, caring for others, blessing others, helping others because my time and my skills are valuable. I'm important. Greed seems obvious, but it can be so subtle and so sneaky, and it all flows out of a place of fear and pride. We're worried we won't have enough, that we won't be enough. If we don't hoard our resources, our time, our money, our skills, our relationships, if we don't wall it all off and keep others out, we're going to run out. We won't have enough and then we won't be enough. But God is enough. And what Jesus has done is enough. 
In fact, it's so much more than enough that he doesn't call the life he's given to us enough. He calls it abundant, overflowing with good things. And he's given us the gift of tithing and generosity to help us continually break the hold of greed on our hearts that over and over again, consistently every week or month or whatever your timing is, we can say no. I don't trust in my money or my job or my strength or my power. I trust in God and everything I have is His. It's a powerful thing. And the freedom that Jesus brings when we let go of greed brings life in ways that will astonish you. He is so much more faithful than we can imagine and He has things in store that you couldn't even guess if we will just let go and trust God to be enough. Do we believe that God is God or not? Are we living as though He really is the King of the world and the Lord of our lives? Let's not just live in enough, let's live in abundance. In the power of the Spirit and the promise of the gospel, in generosity and freedom and faith and let the power of God flow out as we share what He has provided because He is enough. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word and for these reminders. We thank you for the power of the blood of Jesus. That he has set us free from the law of sin and death. That he has given us abundant, eternal, everlasting life. And it's not a life that starts somewhere else. It's not a life that begins in heaven. It's a life that begins from the moment we submit. And say, Jesus, you are God and I am not. When we get the gift of the Spirit, we are empowered to bring that abundance to the world around us. The hope and love of Jesus into every person's life that we encounter. The generosity of the kingdom. Father, we pray that we would not be people of fear. That we would not feel like there isn't enough. We pray that we would trust in your abundance, in your overwhelming, overflowing love, and that we would live and move and share out of that place of freedom. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.